If you are interested in Angular architecture. If you value good practices, if you work on large complex projects, we have something special for you. For the second time in history we have started a special program, Angular Architecture, Strategic Design, with NX. This is an extensive video course, combined with live sessions, which has already been joined by over 120 participants. You can find out all the details at angularmaster.dev. The program is time-limited, so don't wait, be sure to check out now what we have prepared for you. Visit angularmaster.dev website and see you on the other side of the screen. What's up everyone? This is Dariusz Klebarczyk, co-founder of MG Poland, JS Poland, AngularMaster.dev and WorkshopFest.dev. Welcome back to the Angular Master podcast. Today, together with Manfred Steyer, who is an excellent speaker, trainer, consultant and author, we focus on Angular. We will talk in depth about our video course Angular Architecture Strategic Design with NX Edition 2022. Hi Manfred, how are you? Yeah, thanks. I'm I'm really fine. Thanks for having me. Today we are going to talk about a video course that was very successful in the market last year. And now we are in the process of launching the second edition, which has been enriched with uh, a lot of new materials. But before we start, for those who don't know you yet, tell us about yourself. Yeah, I am Manfred Steyer. I am a trainer and consultant for Angular, and I'm focusing on Angular in the enterprise for enterprise scale applications. In this role, I'm doing a lot of workshops and consultancy. And in former days, I was in the project business. I did a lot of projects uh, in the area of software development. And in between, I also was a teacher at the University of Applied Sciences. It was a nice time, but after eight years, I decided that I want to work more closely with people out there in the industry, with people that are writing real codes, that are writing enterprise scale applications. I've also written several books on software development, and I'm always happy to speak about this topic, for instance, at conferences like NG Poland. Thank you. What is Angular Master video course? Yeah, so the idea is to pro provide an online course, but it is not just an online course, because very often if we buy this or that online course, we just buy it and then we forget about watching the recordings. And that's why we combine it with Q&A sessions. That means once a week, we have an office hour session where we connect via Zoom and where you can bring your very own questions. For instance, also project-related questions, and then we can discuss them. And so we have the best of both worlds. 
because as it is an online course, you can watch the recordings when you have time for it. You can rewatch it or skip several parts if you are not interested or if you already know it. And you can do the lab exercises when you feel it's right for you and when you have time. But also, if you want to get an interaction with your trainer, in this case, it's me, you can join the office hours and then we can discuss everything. So it's really the best of both worlds. Perfect. Uh, who is it for? Well, I would say you should be an experienced Angular developer. It's nothing for people that are new to Angular. You should be an experienced Angular developer. And your goal should be that the next step is to learn about architectures, to learn about how to plan, but also to implement huge sustainable enterprise architectures with Angular. That means if you are working on a project that lasts for quite a long time, a piece of software that needs to be maintained for, let's say, several years, then this is the right workshop for you. Then you will learn how to evolve it without changing something here and breaking something there. So the next, next question is, uh, where does it happen? Yeah, so as mentioned before, it is more or less online. It's completely online. That means if you subscribe, you get the link to our platform and then you can do everything in your own base. You can watch the recordings in your own base. You can do the labs in your own base. Uh, and once in a week, you can come to the office hours and discuss your very questions with us. And I really like this setting because those office hours are really great. The thing is, in a traditional workshop, you don't have the time to reflect over the topics. And so normally the questions are more or less shallow. However, in these settings, you can reflect on the topics. And so people really come with deep going project specific questions. And this really adds a huge value to this uh, setup. Besides this, we have uh, a community, we have a Slack channel, we can meet at Facebook. When does it start? When can I start? Well, the good message is it starts as soon as you subscribe. Uh, if you subscribe, you get immediately access to the platform. Um, however, we are starting now with the office hours. Plus, there is a special offer until May 18, uh, you get a special prize because this is now our official start. Can you tell us a little bit more about this Q&A sessions? Yeah, so normally the Q&A sessions happen sometime in the afternoon where everyone has uh, time. So it does not influence your daily business that much. And then we discuss your questions. However, you can also feel free to come up with very project-related questions. Uh, last time we did this, a year ago, people prepared some code from their projects, code where they had issues with, 
or they prepared some architectural drawings reflecting their very own project situation, and then we discussed it. So in this setting, this allows us to combine traditional training stuff with uh, a bit of consulting character. What will I learn? Can you explain the course program? Yeah, so from a high-level perspective, it's all about planning and implementing a piece of software with Angular that can evolve over years or decades. And this is normally the case if we talk about enterprise-scale software development. You have a piece of software that lives perhaps even longer than your current tech stack. And that's why we look into several best practices and approaches like strategic design, like monoliths and modulits, which is uh, a modular monolith, and also, of course, microfronts. We also look into security architectures. They are quite modern architectures we can use for such a huge application nowadays. So we start, for example, with implementation of strategic design. Yes, mm. in NX Monorepo. Yeah. So uh, the idea of domain-driven design is our leading theory. Domain-driven design comes with several aspects, but one aspect we are taking out of it is strategic design. Strategic design is all about decomposing a huge system into tiny parts. Tiny parts that don't need to know much about each other, so they are really decoupled. And this allows us to evolve this software because now we can change it here without breaking it. So it is really a nice thought model, a nice leading theory, but we are not just sticking with the theory, but we will also see different ways for implementing it, like with an, an X-Mono repo or with microfront. The next topic is visualize the architecture. Mm, yeah, so for our Mono repo, We use an X, which is a really great application, or let's call it toolset, built environment. There are several names for it. And it allows us to write huge software and to manage huge amounts of code. And uh, one of the features of an X is to visualize the structure of the application. It shows us which of our libraries is interconnected with which other libraries. And so we get an overview of the architecture at one glance. And we also see our sins immediately. If everything is too tightly coupled, we will see it immediately. And this helps us to uh, establish countermeasures. Next important thread, categorization of libraries. Categorization of libraries is important for you. Angular itself does not even care if you categorize this library in this category or that library in that category. However, for us humans, having several categories of libraries they belong to help us to easily see the big picture And it helps us to easily find out where to find existing code and where to put existing code into. Because 
if we talk about a huge project with several people, you cannot afford to discuss about where to find something or where to put something on a regular basis. So it really helps you to get this whole complexity into your brain and to reasonable. Okay, so enforcing architectural specification. Yeah, so before I told you that if we visualize the architecture, that we can find out about the scenes. For instance, that everything is tightly coupled, something we don't want to have for sure. However, if you see it, then it's already too late. Then you have to fix it. So a better approach would be to make sure that something like this does not occur, to make sure about this upfront. And this is where this enforcement comes into play. This is about defining rules within your NX Mono repo, rules that tell us which library is allowed to access which other libraries. And this connects with the categorization of the libraries because specific categories are only allowed to access specific other categories. This also correlates with strategic design because perhaps one business domain, code of one business domain, is not allowed to directly access code of another business domain in order to decouple everything. Well said. So, uh, incremental builds and tests to speed up the uh, CI process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very important topic. The thing is, a lot of people struggle with huge build time with long build times, especially in the client. Funnily, this is not a topic or a huge topic in the backend anymore, but it's a huge topic for client codes because of all those optimizations, you know, tree shaking and so on. And so the big question is, how can we cut it down? How can we cut build times down, especially when we talk about huge code bases? And one approach, and X is really good at it, That is incremental builds. That means an X is analyzing your code and X finds out what changed and only the changed parts are recombined. Only the changed parts. The rest is taken out of a build cache. And so you can dramatically speed up the whole uh, CI process. And the same is done for testing. If uh, you don't change the code of a specific area, If we think about strategic design, if you don't change the code of one business area, then you don't need to rebuild it, but you also don't need to retest it because everything is the same as before. And so the build cache also gives you the test result of unit tests, end-to-end -end tests out of the build cache. So it really speeds up everything. I have a customer um Honestly, I have several customers, but there is this one customer where we introduced this feature and we cut build times down to one fourth, which is really great. Wow. And we could even cut it down a bit further, but this was enough for us. So we didn't want to invest more time. So this really based. You're listening, Angular Master Podcast. Listen, code, repeat. Everything you need to know. To become an Angular super developer. 
let's talk about local and distributed build caches. If we go with incremental builds, we need this build cache that gives us everything that did not change. And of course, the easiest installation of a build cache is a locally one. I have it on my hard disk. And so if I already compiled something, I don't need to recompile it if it did not change. And if I already tested something, I don't need to retest it if it did not change. However, if we think a bit further, we would put this build cache on a central machine because then we all in the team could benefit from each other. I don't need to recompile something you already recompiled. And you don't need to recompile something I've already recompiled. And we don't need to redo stuff the build server did and vice versa. So uh, it's really an improvement for everyone uh, that is involved. So this is about this idea of the global build cache. And yeah, for this, we will go through several approaches. Next topic, uh, use of module federation for loading separately developed and published micro frontends. Yeah. Uh, this is, if you ask me, the next logical step. It is not a prerequisite, but in some situations, going with micro frontends is the next logical step. The idea is, and this really shows nicely that strategic design is a great leading theory because it spans across this whole course. It shows that if we want to have our dark teams, teams that want to work on their own, we could just define that each and every subdomain we identified when doing strategic design is one application, becomes one application. One application that is separately developed by a team and separately deployed by a team. And this allows the teams to work independently of each other. They can just do their stuff. They don't need to talk too much about each other. They don't need to wait for each other. They just do their stuff. Or to put it in another way, you get back the agility of small teams, even though you have a huge overall software system. Interesting. Integration in Angular and Angular CLI. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for implementing micro frontends, we use module federation, which is quite a modern technology. And it's really a bright star on the, on the sky of micro frontends because it solves so many issues we had before where we need to tinker something by ourselves, where we needed to go with tons of workarounds. So it's really an, Impressive technology, this module federation. However, somehow we need to marry it with the Angular CLI. We need to connect it with the Angular CLI. And uh, for this, we will see how this works. The good message is Webpack is shipping together with module federation. And Webpack is a part of the CLI, but we need to enable it underneath the CLI. And this is what we look at in this part of the, uh, of the course. Perfect. Next topic, dynamic module federation. Yeah. So module federation is all about loading stuff we did not know at runtime. 
uh, we did not know at compile time when compiling the application. It's all about runtime integration. And if you go with a very straightforward approach, then you configure all your micro frontends up front. You tell the application, well, you can load this part from here and that part from there. However, if we think about a real dynamic approach, we might not even know about the micro frontends up front, perhaps not even about the number of the micro frontends. Perhaps we have some backend service that tells us, well, today I have those three micro frontends for you, and tomorrow I have those five micro frontends for you. Perhaps this is really dynamic. We only find out at runtime after reading some configuration data, and this is what dynamic federation is about. Sharing of dependencies. Yeah, so the thing is, um, if we have several separately compiled micro frontends, and if we want to integrate them at runtime, there is the risk that we download the same stuff time and again. Let's just imagine we have 10 micro frontends using Angular. They are separately compiled. So there is the risk of downloading Angular 10 times. And of course, doing this is quite a hit on the bundle size and not that smart. And that's why module federation allows us to share dependencies. There are several ways for sharing dependencies so that we only need to load Angular once and reuse it across all the micro frontends we are loading. The hardest one, dealing with version conflicts. Yeah, this is really the hardest one. So normally when I'm talking about sharing dependencies, some people are frightened because they know if we share dependencies, we will end up with version conflicts. DLL held 2.0, you know, in Windows back then, we had this issue and it was called DLL hell. You had a shared dependency, however, one application needed this version of it and another application needed another version. And yeah, so we need to find ways for dealing with such issues. And this is what we will talk about in this section of the course. The good message is, by the way, module federation has some baked in approaches for getting rid of version conflicts. And there are also some additional ideas. Next module is a communication between micro frontends. Yeah, this is a funny topic because somehow it's a contradiction in itself. Because on the one side, we want to decouple our micro frontends so that they can evolve separately by different teams. However, sometimes they need to communicate with each other and this couples them to each other. That's why I always say you should communicate as little as possible. However, uh, sometimes we need to communicate and here we will see how this works, how we can make one micro front and send out a message to another micro front. Sharing widgets via web components. Angular so elements. this is also a, quite a special topic because normally if you have a straightforward solution, you only go with one framework. 
However, sometimes you need to compile several frameworks. Um, it is for sure not the best thing you can do. However, if there was a merger in your company, you might see two different tech stacks and you need to bring them together. Also, if you need to migrate little by little away from your current tech stack. As mentioned before, most of the times a piece of business software outlives your tech stack. And so it would be a nice idea to move little by little to another one. And for this, we can add Angular elements and web components to the play to mix and match different stuff. Let's move on to the latest topic, Angular's future with optional modules. How do standalone components affect our architecture? Yeah, this is uh, one of the most amazing topics and a quite fresh one. You know, with Angular 14 in some weeks, we will get a developer preview of standalone components, which means we can work without ng modules. And this is a really long-awaited feature because most people don't like ng modules that much. They are somehow boilerplate, you know, additional code we need to respect, we need to grasp, we need to implement. And that's why it's annoying and hard to learn, especially because we already have a module system, namely the module system of ECMAScript, TypeScript. And with Angular 14, with this developer preview, uh, this will become optional. However, now as we don't have ng-modules anymore, the big question is, is this backwards compatible? And hopefully the answer is yes, as you will see in the course. You will also see how it's backwards compatible. The next question is, how does this impact our architecture? Because ng-modules are all about, just let me turn off my phone. Okay. ng-modules are all about uh, structuring an application. And now we don't have them. So how to structure your huge applications? Little tiny spoiler with uh, standalone components uh, are even better ways of organizing your code of substructuring your code. Authentication for micro frontends, more secure and easier thanks to uh, gateways. Yeah, this is also quite a fresh topic. It correlates with the latest recommendations of the OAuth working group. You know, OAuth is perhaps the most famous protocol used nowadays for authentication, not only in the enterprise environment, but also in the enterprise environment. And uh, the promise I have here for you is I will show you a way to make everything easier and more secure. And I know this sounds like the promise of a car vendor. Everything becomes easier and cheaper and better. But I think I, really, really, I will really keep up to this promise. The idea of the OAuth working group, and uh, I also have an implementation for this, is to put most of the stuff to the server side where we can control it more easily. And so we can offload authentication from our Angular application. And to don't squeeze it into our real backend, I have this gateway idea. Not only I, there are several 
products out there. And we will go through those ideas and look into the nitty-gritty details, everything you need to take care about so that it's, it is really easier, but also safer at the end of the day. The next one is really funny. Building a Frankenstein. So, micro frontends with multiple frameworks and versions. Yeah. Sounds crazy. Yeah, it sounds crazy. The Frankenstein architecture, yeah. So, I came up with this term because there was no good term and always saying micro frontends with multiple frameworks and versions is quite verbose, isn't it? So, my metaphor is the Frankenstein, this guy that was assembled of different body parts of different dead people. And as we all know from the story, this guy is quite dangerous. We all know how the story ended on the North Pole. It was not that nice. However, sometimes if you say, well, I can control this guy, this could be a nice approach because, as mentioned before, sometimes we need to migrate away from a tech stack little by little And if this allows us to add new frameworks, then we have a benefit. Of course, we should get rid of the Frankenstein as soon as possible. But for the time of transition, this is quite a nice approach. And it also fits really well to our leading theory of strategic design, because now we can switch out our domains little by little. And this is something we will look into in this part of the of the course perfect so now let's switch to the bonuses everybody mm -hmm. love bonuses so yeah. what do we have reactive state management with ngrx and your architecture yeah so if we think about a huge architecture about cutting everything into pieces categorizing libraries having several business domains, perhaps even having several micro frontends. One huge question is, how does NGRX fit into this? And in this part, I will give you several answers. So one important thing is, this is not an introduction into NGRX, but uh, we will show you how NGRX and all those ideas of NGRX fit to such huge architectures. The next one is NGRX best practice. Yeah. So we will also go through several best practices like, you know, normalization and denormalization. What can I do if I need the same data in different structures, in different use cases? And yeah, for this, I will provide some answers here. Modern authentication scenario with OO2 and OpenID Connect. Yeah, those two protocols are the most famous protocols for authentication in an enterprise environment, not only, but also in an enterprise environment. It allows us to couple our application, to loosely couple it to an existing identity provider. No one wants to write their own user management because there are so many existing identity solutions out there, like uh, first and foremost Active Directory or some cloud-based solutions. And in this part, we will look at this. We will see how we can interconnect our 
application with those two protocols to Active Directory and LTIP or some other identity provider in your uh, environment. Next topic is OO2.1 and best practices. Yeah, so the thing is, this OAuth protocol is already quite old. It turns 10 years this year. I still remember uh, I was in Slovenia on holidays when it was already finished and I was lying there on the seaside and reading through the specifications because, yeah, this is what I like to do in my holidays. Everyone needs a hobby. Uh, and yeah, it really turns 10 this year. However, even though it turns 10, there are fresh new perspectives on it. The standard itself did not change, but there are fresh new perspectives. Do's and don'ts, what to do to make it more secure, what to do to don't have to think about 10 things we need to prevent in order to prevent other people to attack us. And this is what we will talk about. The last one, IV. What it will it bring in the long run? Yeah. So this is another bonus. It's an outlook because we have IV since, I think, meanwhile, three years, give or take. And IV is really an enabler. We did not see much of IV so far in the public API surface of Angular, but this will change sooner or later. For instance, it's changing now with standalone components. Standalone components working without ng modules is only possible because of Ivy, because of the architecture and the fresh ideas the Angular team brought into play uh, with Ivy. And in this case, we will look into Ivy. You will understand why now standalone components are possible but you will also understand the general idea of Ivy and the potential of Ivy and all the features it will enable in the future. So it's, it's really an outlook and a look underneath the covers. Thank you for listening to this podcast to the end. I hope with this information, you will make a good decision for yourself. If you have any further question about the course, please email contact at angulamaster.dev Finally, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a like and a comment to help us continue to grow.